So if you didn't come today with a plan to have your life transformed, I want you to upgrade your expectations because God wants to transform your life. And I'm believing with everything in me that you will not leave this place the same way you walked in. So we're doing this whole leadership uh, school, but that means we're also doing a leadership series. So this uh, is my first time ever preaching, teaching, either in a school setting or on Sunday morning on a series or the topic of leadership. So it's kind of new for me. If it's kind of new for you, that's great. I think that God is doing something in the midst of these messages, really expanding who we are as leaders and giving us the privilege of occupying more territory in the kingdom. So if you believe that, just say amen. I'm going to dive right in today. Uh, You can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. And as you're opening up your Bible, I want to remind you of something that in the kingdom, leadership is not about rank. Leadership is about action. Everybody say, it's not about rank. It's about about action. Primarily the action of serving. Everybody say serving. That is what leadership is in the kingdom of Jesus. If you want to be a leader, what you are asking God for is for him to make you a servant. If you're speaking to the Lord and you're saying, God, I want to be a leader. Here's what you're praying. God, I really want to serve. Is that scary for you at all? Lord, I really want to serve. And so we've developed a definition, a working definition that we're going to use over the next few weeks. A kingdom leader is the person that loves others by actively serving them sacrificially and joyfully as an act of worship to Jesus. You got it? As an act of worship to Jesus. So leadership looks like something and leadership looks like serving. So if you're in Matthew chapter 20, say, I'm there. If you're not and you're just going to read it off the screen, say, that's me. I like your style. Let's go. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? Which essentially is him saying, what do you desire? I know sometimes we kind of read Jesus as rude, uh, but really what he's asking is, what do you desire? That's what the original uh, meaning of the words that he used. What is it that your heart desires? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Everybody say leadership. Leadership. You see what was happening here is that the mother uh, of these two sons, James and John, was approaching Jesus in a posture of worship, right? Do you guys see that? She knelt down in front of him, right? So can you imagine this? It's like she comes before the Lord and she's getting ready to ask him for something. And so she postures her heart properly. She's like, Lord, he's like, what is it that your heart desires? Right. And so what is it that she asked for? She says, I am going to request because they're all anticipating the reign of Jesus. Right. They know that the that the kingdom of Jesus is on its way. It's forthcoming. They know that the reign of Jesus is about to happen. And so she's asking, look, Lord, when you establish your kingdom, my request is that you put my boys in a position of leadership. Right. And uh, I love this because it really exemplifies the desire that we have and oftentimes our parents have to see us in positions of leadership. 
which might be the first point of this message. Uh, you can get into some trouble trying to live out your parents' expectations of you. And parents, we can get into some trouble trying to place expectations on our kids of position and leadership that God never meant them to walk into. So there's a few, you know, right away, there's a few examples. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about because you were raised to be, uh, you know, to occupy a position that God didn't call you to. Right? You, you experience that pressure. You know what that's like. And maybe, I see some of you guys now, you're like, yeah, that was me. That was me. Maybe James and John were thinking about that whenever the mother, their mother approached Jesus. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Here we go again. She's about to LeVar Ball Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You guys know who LeVar Ball is? Okay, well, Google it after the message. It's, he's the dad of Lonzo Ball. He plays for the Lakers. You know, he's very... Yeah. Huh. Just got traded. That's right. Yeah. Anyways. So um, where was I going with that? We got into basketball and it's been a week in basketball for me, you guys. It's been a week. Anyways, we'll move on from that. Let's go. Let's keep reading the scripture. Can anybody remind me where I was going to go with that? Okay. You guys got it. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Next point. <laughs> Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking. Right now, can I just let's just make this clear. If you're asking the Lord for a position of leadership, you don't know what you're asking. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe that was the point I was going to reflect on is the fact that she came to Jesus asking for a position, not asking if they could serve, perform an action. She came asking for a position. So, like, if you're asking for a position of leadership, I think Jesus might say to you, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He's referring to martyrdom here. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. You know, they got upset by the competition that was taking place in the community. They're like, who are you guys to seek position over me? Don't you know that I am the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus? Because there are other scriptures, there are other stories, there are other moments in which the disciples are arguing amongst themselves over who is the greatest in the community. There was a lot of competition. There was a lot of comparison going on in the community of Jesus. Sounds like sometimes the church today, right? Sounds like our culture today, right? People competing and comparing, wanting position, wanting to be in the lead, wanting to be in charge, right? And that's what's happening here in the community of Jesus. And Jesus called them uh, to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, everybody say great. great. Among you must be your servant. Everybody say servant. servant. You guys see what Jesus is doing here? He is linking greatness to service. Yes. He's like, look, if you want to be great, here's how to be great. Serve. That's foreign, isn't it? All right, let's keep going. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be first, everybody say first place. First place. Everybody wants to be first place in our culture, right? 
among you must be your slave. Everybody say slave. slave. Wow. So Jesus is linking top tier leadership to slavery. He's like, look, let me give you a picture of what it looks like to be a first place leader. It looks like becoming a slave voluntarily. Wow. This is pretty intense. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice here that Jesus doesn't call us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. He doesn't say, look, this is what life looks like in the kingdom. I'm the king. Therefore, you guys are all going to be serving me because I have a position and uh, I have the rank. But you guys are going to take action and you, go, you guys are going to serve me. That's not what Jesus says. He said, look, if you want to be great, you're going to become a servant. I didn't come here to get served by you guys. I came here to serve you guys. And he said, look, if you want to be in first place, you got to become a slave. And he said, look, I didn't come here to take first place. I came here to give my life as a ransom for many, including people who do not yet know me, who will never accept me, who hate me, and who are later going to persecute me in my church. Wow. I'm giving my life as a ransom. That's what leadership looks like. So today, I want to talk to you guys from the topic of becoming a first place leader. All right. So how many of you guys want to become a first place leader? Everybody's kind of not sure right now after that introduction, right? But I think that we would say that the pervasive understanding of leadership in our, t in our cultural climate today is a position of recognition, right? I think one of the reasons why we're seeing so many leadership tools uh, available to us is because people do want to advance their careers. They do want to improve as people, they want to grow, they want to become better. But I think in many ways, many people in our generation want to be leaders because they want to be recognized. They want to be seen. They want to be treated as special. They want to be served. They want to be exalted. They want to be looked to as somebody that is unique, that is a standout star, that is a first place leader, and as a result, gets revered and gets affection. I would say that not everybody who confesses to be called to leadership is, but I think that sometimes people want to be leaders because of a place and a need in their heart that they're trying to meet that they didn't get from their moms and dads at home. Since it's Father's Day, we'll throw that in there. But I really do believe that, you know, leadership has become this coveted thing in our culture and so because it's such a big deal, as a byproduct, so has comparison and so has competition. Yeah. So if you Google what's the definition of leadership, you're going to get words that imply competition. It's the person in the lead. It's the first person in first place. And we see this all over the place in our culture. We see this in the Bible uh, through the disciples of Jesus. We see this in our churches. And so we have a lot of memes and quotes and we encourage one another. Don't compete. Don't compare. Because we know and confess that it's actually rampant in our culture. Competition is. Anybody in here competitive? A few, few of you guys. Okay. Tim, uh, Tim raised his hand. Tim and I threw axes together the other night, and uh, Tim scored a seven-point axe throw. It was the best throw all night, and despite my competitive nature, I congratulated him and even gave him a high five. So I just want to tell you guys how proud of myself I am. And I'm just kidding. No, I, I honestly, so I'm a recovering competitive athlete, right? So I'm, I'm actually not that competitive anymore. Uh, Rick and I went and played golf on Monday. 
um, I'm not good at golf, and he beat me. And I, it was fun. It was like not a deal. It was like, great, we had fun. I exercised. See, that's part of being a dad. You get to the point where you're like, you know, as long as I break a sweat, success. <laughs> it's just a good day, you know? It's like, that's, that's great. And, but for me, you know, I, you guys know this. A lot of you guys know this. I grew up playing basketball, uh, competitive level. I grew up very competitive. And so for me, the definition of competition was not just to win. The definition of competition was to absolutely demoralize my opponent. All right? I mean, I'm being serious, all right? I wasn't satisfied with a W. I wasn't satisfied until the other team was, like, groveling with respect, admitting the fact that they did not deserve to share the court with our team. Like, that's what I was going after. I was like, I, I like, I want to hurt your heart, you know? And so I know I've been saved. I've been redeemed, okay? I'm a new person. I'm not who I used to be. Thank God, you know? Because I was mean. I was angry. Some of you guys know my testimony. This is part of the, you know, I'm, I you, I'm a recovering competitive athlete, which is one of the reasons why Golden State's loss was just so terrible, you know, this week for me and for all of you Warriors haters out there, you know, God bless you. Um, you know, but I just, it's, it, it's tough. And, and I grew up this way and I'm the oldest of four boys. And man, I was so mean to my little brothers. I used to play them one-on-one, give them 99, go to 100. I'd block every shot and talk trash every time. I've repented for that. I have. Uh, but no, to give you guys an idea of like how competitive I was, when I was a kid, I played junior pro basketball, right? And I, I'll never forget this as a kid. Uh, we won this game. We like blew this other team out. And uh, it's junior pro, so the games are not that long. And our team scored 28 points. It's not that many points. But I remember walking away from the game. My dad was like, son, good job, good game. You guys won by so much. Aren't you excited? And I was like, no. And he was like, why? And I was like, because I didn't score every point. I scored 26 of our 28 points. <laughs> this, this is bad. Listen, I'm just trying to give you, uh, look, I'm not trying to roast myself, all right? I know, I realize I am. And some of you guys are thinking, like, you're a terrible person. I realize this. Look, I, look, I get it, okay? Look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to beautify it. it I, I was, I was a terrible person. Um, praise God, I got saved, you know? Now I can go out, I can enjoy sports. I'm not, I'm not that competitive. It's just, it's no big deal. And le- like basketball, I'm most competitive. And, and here's why. Because I think that we tend to be most competitive with people who are doing what we love doing yeah. or doing what we wish we were doing, yeah. you know? And so it's not everybody that we compete with, but we compete with the people who are doing what we wish we were doing yeah. or doing what we want to be doing. And those are the people we harbor bitterness towards and unforgiveness towards and, and we're angry with them on the inside. We smile in their face like, yeah, good game. But truth is, we're upset. You know, we're offended. And not all the times offended at them. A lot of times we're offended at God. Right? Have you guys ever been there before? Well, I want to be honest with you. I I get there often. Now, I know you guys think as a pastor that I am extremely righteous and that I just so, I just never sin, you know? And I wish that were the case. I really do. But I wrote down a couple of statements of things that for me have been huge struggles in my saved life, all right? So it's okay if, I, if I'm like just slightly vulnerable with you. So when I got saved, you know, I stopped being competitive in sports and I didn't realize I did this, but by default, I began being competitive in ministry, all right? Because I didn't care about sports anymore. That was over, that was done. That was, that was a different season of my life. 
Now it was ministry. This is what I was giving my life to. So now I became competitive over here. Right. And there are times I have on my worst days. I ask questions like this. I wrote down three questions. They might be a little much for you, but that's OK. I'm, this is me being vulnerable. Why is that guy so famous? I preach better than him. Yep. You guys need to hear this. You can hear it. Why is their church so big? Our church is way cooler. <laughs> Why are they being so recognized? I've paid a greater price than them. So I'm being vulnerable with you. I'm being transparent on purpose, all right? Because you need to get real with yourself. So I can't ask you to do something I'm not willing to do, okay? On my worst day, these are the statements that I pray. And I'm shaking my fist at God. What? I'm so mad. I'm angry. Now we're going to dive into some of that for the rest of the message today. Now, perhaps not all pastors will tell you that they struggle with these things, but it's what I can tell you. They do. You know why? Because I know a lot and I have coffee with a lot. And this is why so many of them want to quit. Because they didn't sign up to do this. They sign up to reach people. They sign up to help people. They sign up to feed the poor. They sign up to minister to the city. But the culture in which we are a part of, now I don't know what culture you're a part of, but for me, the fraternity of preachers, I can tell you this, the culture in which we are a part of, it is so pervasive. It is so powerful. It is so constant. It is so consistent that these are the metrics that the success of your ministry gets gauged on. And therefore, it's natural to struggle with some of those things. And I'm for, whatever you're involved, whatever you love, whatever you care about, I'm sure it's natural as well. But this is the place in which competition becomes extremely debilitating. It's when it takes over your psyche. It's when it starts to take over your life. And the shame of being second or worse can cause you to check out or it can cause you uh, to work harder. And your shame can fuel you to hustle. Now, some folks appear to be hustling, but on the inside, they're broken. Their shame has got their foot on the pedal, but they're not driving towards purpose. They're driving towards burnout. What's sad is that we congratulate these people on the way. Keep going. Keep pushing. You're hustling. What's worse is that some people, and I would even say some preachers, could care less about burning out because they'll take attention any way they can get it. And our culture has taught us that whoever's suffering the most deserves the most attention. Whoever's the most offended deserves the most attention. Oh, yeah, you're the most angry. Here you go. Talk. You know, that's just kind of the culture that we're a part of right now. And so, unfortunately, in our culture, leadership is linked so much to recognition. And uh, our culture will do everything in its power to get recognized. You ever heard this before? Do it for the gram. You know what I'm saying? It's like we got literally people taking life risk to be recognized on social media. Right? Because they want to be recognized. They want to be seen as a leader. They want to be somebody that is, that, that, that's got attention. But listen, a thirst for attention is really just a soul cry for affection. A thirst for attention is really just a soul cry for affection. That's why I've refrained from getting real judgy whenever I scroll through Instagram and I see maybe a girl posting revealing stuff. It's like, you know, I used to get angry and just unfollow them. I still unfollow them, by the way, because as a pastor, the last thing I want to do is be in the altar on Sunday. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, what in the world? You know, so, hey, listen, guys, you have, you have a permission to unfollow people who post scandalous things on Instagram. Somebody should say amen. And so... But listen, 
it, it's a soul cry for affection. A thirst for attention is really a soul cry for affection. All right, so we can change and have some empathy uh, when we see people posting stuff like that. But because we don't know who we are, uh, we have no idea how to really lead. And if we don't lead from our true selves, then we'll lead selfishly for the sake of being in charge. And this is why we're talking about kingdom leadership for the next few months. We must go beyond relying on competition to bring out our best work. Let me say it again. We must go beyond relying on competition to bring out our best work because your real life's work won't come from you striving to compete. Your real life's worth work will come from you recognizing who you are and serving others from your purpose. Right? So if you, if you count on competition to bring out your best work, you're never going to trailblaze into a new place. You'll only do what other people's already done. You'll only be able to copy other people. But God created you unique. He created you special. He created you to bring something to the world that nobody else has ever brought before. So how are you going to bring out your uniqueness just trying to compete with people who are, you know, trying to bring out theirs? You got to bring out your own outside of competition. So when you look at this, when you look at this scripture and you see James and John, they're attempting to lead like the culture that they're a part of, which is why Jesus points this out when he refers to the leadership style of the Gentiles. He said, hey, look, don't lord it over them. This is not how you're called to lead. This is not how I want you to lead. We're not supposed to look at the culture of the world to model leadership for us. Not as kingdom Christians. We are called to look at Jesus to model leadership for us. Amen. And so the brothers and the mother, they knew Jesus' kingdom was forthcoming. And so they were like, hey, we want top spots. We want first place. We want to have the corner office in heaven. The C-suite, right? We want that place of recognition. Um, And so when Jesus sees these men competing for position, he essentially looks at them and says, you have no idea what you're asking for. Now, notice that um, the, the position of the mom, right? She came humble. She came holy. She came pious. I mean, how, how often do we come before the Lord in the right way but ask the wrong questions? Yeah. Oh, come on, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to be better than that other person over there. <laughs> Set me apart, Lord. Lord's like, you're dysfunctional. You know? Right? But we do this. This is, what, this is what we do. We do this. We're like, come on, Lord. Hallelujah, I'm fasting. Are you fasting for the wrong thing? Yes. Wow. You're fasting to be ahead of the next person. You need to be fasting for better character. You need to be, yes. get ahead of your old, old self to grow, to be transformed into my image. You can't be transformed into God's image looking at other people. I posted this on Instagram this week, but, you know, how often do we find ourselves looking over the fence at somebody else's promised land? They didn't deserve that, you know. What are they doing that? That's not right. I should have that. Well, you're never going to inherit your promised land examining somebody else's. Well, I wish I was over there. No, you don't. Because their promised land was tailor-made by God for them. Listen, if you could inherit somebody else's promised land, you'd get there and be unsatisfied. You'd get in there and you'd be like, this ain't even actually that fun. No, because God creates promised lands. Man doesn't create promised lands. God creates promised lands with no limitations. 
and your promised land is, has been created on the basis of your promises. That's why it's called promised land. Not on the basis of somebody else's promises. You guys getting this whole competition comparison thing today, right? And so Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking for. You're competing to try to become great. You have no idea what you're asking for. You want to, you want to win? Yeah. You want to be first place? Yeah. You want to be recognized? Yes. He gets them all riled up, you know. Do you even know what you're asking for? So I got four points I'm going to share with you guys about becoming a first place leader. All right. So here's the first point. Great leaders refuse to compete because they refuse to divide. So if you want to. uh, Oh, go back a slide. That's the wrong one. Great leaders refuse to compete because they refuse to divide. Do you guys have that one? Don't have it. Okay, write it down. Great leaders refuse to compete because they refuse to divide. Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? So here's the result of competition. Division. The result of competition is division because if you're going to compete, you've got to create teams. Right? Those teams then need to face off against one another. Doesn't matter the location, doesn't matter the affiliation. To compete against a brother, you've got to separate yourself from them. And Mark 10 and 9 said, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The body of Christ. We're all a part of one body. So to compete with a brother, you've got to amputate. You see how unhealthy this is. You see how damaging this is to the body. Mark chapter 9 verse 40 said, Anyone who is not against us is for us. I like that. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Leave them be. Bless them. Pray for them. Encourage them in the Lord. Stop competing and talk to competitive friends. If you have people in your circle right now that are always competing with you, you don't have to continue to hang out with them. Talk to them. Say, look, hey, because this is always happening in our relationship, I don't feel like we're connected. We're not unified. We're competing so much, it's obvious we're on two different teams, and I want to be on the same team, going after the same goal, pursuing the same purpose, which is Jesus and advancing the kingdom of Jesus. Can we get over this competition? Because it's not kingdom. We need to connect and we need to move forward or or step back away from them. Um, Honestly, just step back away from them. If you have friendships, relationships, this always feels like competition, take a step back for a season. And if there's people that come up in your feed all the time that you are constantly tempted to compete with, unfollow them. There is no unwritten rule that you are contractually obligated to follow people on social media. Come on, that's better than some of y'all said amen, right? Well, I would unfollow them, but then they'll notice. Who cares? Who cares? You're not responsible for how they respond to your unfollow. You're responsible for protecting your own heart. Take care of yourself. Number two. Great leaders expect suffering and don't quit when it comes. Matthew chapter 20, verse 22 through 23 said, Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup. 
Here's the thing. And I know this is not popular, but listen, if you are signing up to lead, you are signing up to suffer. Let me say it again. I know this is not a popular point. But listen, if you're signing up to lead, you're signing up to suffer. It is the nature of leadership. If you want to lead anything, I can promise you this. In the process of leading that, you are going to experience pain, drama, setbacks, heartache, rejection. Why do do we think that we're not going to experience rejection when Jesus constantly got rejected? If you're signing up to lead, you're signing up to suffer. A leader has to have thick skin and a soft heart. Amen. You have to be a part. A leader has to be a person that remains unoffendable. There has to be a person that says, you know what? No matter what happens to me, I'm going to choose to forgive because I'm a kingdom leader. The minute you become an unforgiving person is the minute is the moment you level yourself off. You cap yourself from growing as a leader. Just doesn't happen any further. Come on. So if you're if you're if you're gonna sign up to lead, you're gonna sign up to suffer, guaranteed. You're gonna have great times, you're gonna have dark times. A great leader counts this cost, expects storms, says yes anyway, and does not quit. You know how many times Alice and I have thought we wanted to quit pastoring? <laughs> Not in, a, not in a long time. Praise God. So be refreshed. But listen, when we first got started, it was like every weekend. We were like, we're terrible at this. It's obvious we shouldn't do this. We're out of the will of God, you know. And then somebody would come with a prophetic word or we'd be praying together, worshiping together. God would speak to us. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Just don't quit. Mama Heidi says, hey, if you don't quit, you win. Isn't that awesome? I always joke with her. I told her she stole that from me, but she says she made it up, so I don't know. Point three. I like this one a lot. A great leader trusts God's positioning. Now, this is, this is a big deal when it comes to competition and comparison. A great leader trusts God's positioning. Matthew 20, 23, to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus is making something clear right here. He does not dole out positions because you ask him for them. Just because you've asked Jesus for a position of leadership doesn't mean you're going to get it. I know that we would like to think that that's the case, but just because we come before the Lord on our knees in worship, lifting our hands, oh, Jesus, you're the one that can do anything. Give me a position. He said, look, your responsibility is to serve. Your responsibility is to follow me. I'm not the one that decides upon the positions. Are you going to follow me even if you don't get a position? Are you going to stay on fire for God even if you don't get a position? You're going to stay on fire for God even if you don't get the promotion at work? You're going to stay on fire for God even if you don't get the raise? You're going to stay on fire for God even if you don't get that thing you've been asking for? Even if you don't get it, you're going to continue to follow me? Continue to go after me with passion. Continue to be, unfor- uh, uh, to be forgiving and unoffendable. Yes. Or are you married to a position rather than a person? Woo. Jesus makes it clear. Hey, look, I'm not giving out positions just because you asked me for them. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the motives. Man sees outer appearance and appoints for that purpose. He looks at the heart. Amen. Yes. Says, what's going on on the inside? What about the character? Yes. God places people where he wants them. 
where they're best served holistically for him and his kingdom. For them as an individual and for the people of God. He positions people where he wants them to be. Psalm 75 and 7 says, it is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts the other. God is the judge. He says right here, he is the judge. So what good is it to complain in the courtroom once the judge has made their decision? You ever watch Judge Judy? It's a waste of time, man. The decision is made. Boom, the gavel. Right? And it's like just trying to sit around. Why'd you give that person that position? Well, I want this position. I want that position. And so instead of investigating and just going on this like, you know, deep dive of stalking people to try to discover do they deserve this position or not, just trust God and celebrate. You, get, you guys get what I'm saying here? Sometimes we can go like full on into stalk mode. They don't deserve that. I can't believe they've got that position. I should have had that position. Let me uncover some dirt on them. Let me figure out how they got this the wrong way. God sits one up, takes down another. Trust God. A great leader trusts God's positioning. Here's point four. A great leader sees leadership as a responsibility to serve, not a position to protect. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Notice this. A title does not equal greatness. But what's the root word of entitlement? Title. Wow. So what I'm saying is a title doesn't necessarily bring greatness, but a title could bring entitlement. Sometimes it's best for us to serve without a title. Amen. Sometimes it's best for us to do what we can do without a title. Amen. Because along with a title sometimes comes entitlement. Oh, I'm in a position now. They should be serving me. Yeah. I paid my dues. It's my turn. I'm the person that should get served now. Is this too real for y'all? <laughs> Some of y'all acting like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, Man, I've never heard anything like that before. I've never struggled with that. Leadership looks like serve, uh, serving. This is greatness in God's kingdom. Just because you have a position does not mean you're a great leader. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Just because you have a position does not mean that you're a great leader. I love what Jesus says. He's like, hey, if you want to be a first place leader, here's how you got to do it. You got to become a slave. Now, doesn't that seem like too extreme of a word? Like slave, hold on, wait, you know, he couldn't really mean that, right? Like Jesus couldn't really mean that. Like slave, come on, Jesus. Slave, you couldn't really mean that. But I think he did mean that because slave, although an extreme word, alludes to a reality, which is this, slaves have no rights. Slaves don't get compensated. Slaves don't serve with expectation. They're not serving here, working here. You know, got my hand up. Uh, I'm serving here. I'm working here. Hey, uh, it's going to be transactional, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scratch your back, and then you're going to scratch mine, right? Like, I'm going to serve you, and then you're going to serve me. And like, wow. right? This is going to be a little, it's like a little, trans, a little trade-off here, right? Like, you're going to give me what I want, and I'm going to give you what you want, and, 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 I, and I'm going to serve you. That, that's, not, that's not servitude. That's networking. That's different. That's a different deal. That's not kingdom. 
I'm not saying you can't network in a kingdom way. What I'm saying is if you're going to serve, you have to come without any expectation of being paid back. Kingdom leaders don't serve with their handout to receive. Jesus takes all the transactional elements out of serving. Look, I know we've been pushing leadership and we've been pushing serving, but if you're serving in the church simply for the sake of getting the opportunity for a title or a position, you're not serving in a kingdom way. We've got to change the way we're serving. We've got to change our heart. We've got to change our heart for that. Say, no, I'm not going to serve with any expectation. I'm serving because I'm in love with Jesus. I'm doing it for love. Luke 6 and 35 says this, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Listen, your level of leadership will be determined by what you're willing to give, not by the positions that you decide to accept. Your level of leadership will be determined by what you give, not the positions that you accept. As I'm closing, I want to invite the worship team to come back. I want us to sing together as we're closing, but also not just sing in concert, but really ask the Lord, God, help me to become a first place leader in the kingdom. Help me to serve. I want to read a few other scriptures to you guys as I'm closing, because Jesus is obviously the greatest example that we have for leadership. Would you guys say amen to that? Yeah. Right? He says, listen, I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come here to be catered to. I didn't come here to have my feet washed. I came here to wash your feet. I came here to give. I came here to serve. I came here not just to give a temporary volunteer position, but I came here to give my whole life as a ransom for many. That's what I came here to do. And Jesus is our ultimate model for leadership we see leaders as people that everybody likes to serve but jesus didn't consider himself a leader because of who served him jesus considered himself a leader because of who he served and this was his way of living and if we're going to imitate jesus's leadership we have to give our lives as payment to see other people set free because that's what ransom means ransom is a payment I love that because ransom says I counted the cost because it's going to cost me something, but I'm going to give it as a ransom for many to be set free. All of us today, we're set free, right? Because Jesus paid the price in his own blood on the cross so that we might be set free. Guys, if we're going to imitate Jesus style leadership, that's what it looks like. We count the cost and we pay the price so that other people could get set free, even if we don't get paid back. You know how we're paid back? Watching those people come alive. We, we're paid back by watching those people step into their purpose. We get paid back by watching those people give their whole lives to Jesus. We get pay, paid back by, by watching uh, 80 kids in a hug line. Or watch our brother uh, bringing life uh, to another nation. And we don't know those kids' stories, but you guys served. And you sent the nearest on this trip. You know, we opened this up to giving. We said, hey, guys, who wants to give? You know how much? The church gave like $5,000. Are you kidding me? You guys. It's not. You gave like $5,000. So they could do that. They gave away. uh, They didn't post this. They gave away 3,000 backpacks yesterday to school kids. 3,000 backpacks because you guys served. 
A kingdom leader is the person that loves others by actively serving them, sacrificially and joyfully as an act of worship to Jesus. One last scripture. If you guys don't mind to stand, I want to read this out to you because I really want to get us get a good picture of who Jesus is and how he served. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 says, Have this mind among yourselves. Everybody say, that's me. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, that's what kingdom leadership looks like right there. Laying down our lives, emptying ourselves and saying equality with Jesus is not a thing I'm even going to attempt to grasp. I know who I am. I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm great. This is a truth held intention, right? Because we know that we're royalty. We know that we're, we're kings and priests. We know that we're a royal priesthood. We're set apart. We're consecrated. We're well-loved sons and daughters. We have an inheritance. We've received a legacy from God. We're so rich in the spirit. We're so wealthy uh, by what Jesus paid for on the cross. But at the same time, we're servants who are willing to suffer and lay down our lives at the feet of Jesus and at the feet of humanity and say, here I am to give my life as a ransom for many. Here I am to give my life as a ransom for many. It doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the price. I want to see people set free by the blood of Jesus. Doesn't matter the cost. I want to see cities redeemed. Doesn't matter the cost. I want to see revival. Doesn't matter the cost. I want to see people discipled. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what it means. But I want to raise up a generation of Jesus followers that are radical after Christ and transforming their communities. I want to see something shift in my lifetime and so I serve and I give. Lord, break us to be greater servants. Break us to be greater servants. For some of us, I want to encourage you, sign up in some capacity today to serve. I don't care what it is, just volunteer outside of the church if that's your deal. I, it, it, the church, the reason why it's such a great incubator for personal destiny is because it provides you with opportunities to be transformed by serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we have so many opportunities. It's not a plug. It's just a, it's a sincere invitation from the Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said?